have said be patient and wait, we must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. We are tired. We are tired of being beaten by policemen. We are tired of seeing our people locked up in jail over and over again. And then you holler, be patient. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom and we want it now. We are Podcasters United to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that black lives matter. We believe that black lives are more important than property. And we believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witnesses to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak against anti-blackness and police brutality, and we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Belton. Y'all, it's been a hot minute. I took about, I want to say three months off from the podcast just to reflect and to heal and learn and be in community with people because as most of y'all know, the world has been a lot even thinking back to our last episode, which touched on the impact of COVID-19 on black communities, that episode really took a lot out of me to get that out. And so I'm glad that I took that time off because now I feel a deeper conviction about, you know, my purpose and about my work with Better to Speak and about creating good and thoughtful content through this platform and through this podcast. So for our first episode back, I wanted to discuss tangible ways for those listening to get involved in the larger movement for black liberation. I know this is kind of late, a little bit, not really, considering the protests have kind of not died off entirely, but died off from, you know, social media and the news uh, for the most part. And I was doing the work at that time to really understand my own place in this movement in terms of the long the long run and not just you know this moment that now everybody's engaged and more people are engaged I should say but what role do I play in this larger movement for black liberation and that was work that I was really doing before before these riots took place and before you know the the pandemic started really I had was actually planning to take a break from better to speak work to really lock in and focus on again like learning theory and aligning you know my my politics with my practice, um, understanding the growth that I was experiencing in terms of my personal politics outside of Better to Speak. And so, of course, when everything popped off, I felt this even greater call to just turn inward and not necessarily, you know, put myself on this platform to say, like, you know, this is what people should be doing or should be thinking. 
I really needed to understand that for myself. And I think taking the time to, again, like hope and understand what this moment means for me personally. What does this mean for my my baby, better to speak, like this thing that I am trying to build, this platform that I'm trying to build in regards to the transformation of silence into language and action. What does that mean? How do those two things coincide? And so during that break, like I said, I've just been learning on my own and with others. I've been reading. If you see my social media, you know I bought all these books that I literally am trying to work through, but there's so many. I'm currently in the process of being becoming a member of the Black Youth Project, BYP 100, and we'll actually have them on in a future episode. And so I have that community of people that I'm learning learning with and working with. Because another thing that I realize is with Better to Speak Like, I do so much of this work by myself. Like since, I want to say, what I started it in 2017. So our first program was in 2018, but the idea came to me in 2017. So for three years, I've really been doing this, this work by myself. And so obviously with something that is really centered around community, the idea of, you know, doing that work by yourself as far as like, you know, who was on the Better to Speak team, like it's really, you know, me, myself, and I, but I know, like, of course, I've, you know, done work with my partners and um, interacting with people in the community, but, like, again, like, Better to Speak has really been driven by me alone, and so, like, you know, I don't have people to bounce ideas off of or to help me with the podcast or anything, like, this has largely been, like I said, just me for the past three years, and so that was something I realized wasn't really conducive to, you know, when you're going through these, these hard moments and really trying to understand and process and understanding how to respond, understanding, like, what work do I need to be doing in this moment, like, that, I think, was the biggest indication that I need to do that work and figure that out for myself and not necessarily um, try to posture myself as, like, this this person who knows, you know, everything about what does it mean to to be civically engaged. Like, I've never, ever fixed my mouth to call myself an organizer or an activist because I feel like those are very specific skills that I, I don't have yet. And even, you know, learning with uh, BYP 100, there was one teach-in where they said the difference between an activist and an organizer and an advocate and organizer, I think, is having a home base of people who hold you accountable. And so I think, again, that's one thing that I've been missing with this work and in thinking about how I wanted to come back with Better to Speak, how, what programming, you know, how does that fit into the programming that I had already planned to do? Like, aside from the podcast, I think again community and relationships in real life and not just creating content and telling stories like what work are you doing to help people with their their material conditions and not necessarily just like okay using their story to talk about the issue in an, in an abstract form again like it just didn't make sense for me to push this idea of a community through an organization that I do really believe has a lot of potential without first being in a space where I felt I truly embody that as an individual and so now I'm just you know trying to do a better job again of investing in those relationships and I have a couple partnerships that I'm really excited about and so that's been a part of my journey to um, unlearn you know white supremacy and capitalism that wants you to this very individual individualistic and capitalist culture that wants us to you know grind super hard by ourselves and not necessarily realizing that you have people who are in this fight with you you have other people who you know you can lean on and if not necessarily for work projects, because that's also like, I don't know, a very transactional thing, but just people to learn from and to lean on and to to recognize that you're not in this alone. Um, And so that seems like a really weird thing to talk about on here, like relationships and things like that. But um, it does go hand in hand, again, with this conversation about black liberation. Like you can't, 
you know, build trust and you can't build genuine connections with people when you don't know them. You you can't do that when you don't know their stories, when you're not aware of their struggles or sensitive to their struggles. Um, again, and not in that abstract sense, like, you know, for example, broadly talking about how um, black folks have been disproportionately impacted by COVID versus knowing somebody who just lost someone or knowing someone who's an essential worker and struggling or knowing someone who's facing eviction at this moment, like, in, in being in the position to do something about that or being in the position to organize people just for the sake of, of collectivism and communal care. Um, and so I will say just on a personal note, like my desire to get into this work has really come from um, a deep care for people and I think a sensitivity to people's struggles. But at the same time, like I've definitely been really sheltered growing up. And this is one thing that I realized in, t- in my reflection period is like I've, I've grown up extremely sheltered to a lot of the violence that people face in, um, in this country, in this world. And that, um, that's been one of the things that I've realized during this time and seeing everything going on is like the idea of people just not, you know, facing poverty, not being able to meet their material needs is not something that I've really ever had to think about. And so again, like that impacts my ability to, to approach better, to speak work. Like if I say that I want to make a difference, do I really understand what that means? Um, and so I, I don't know, I really just took the time to, to think about the platform, because that was a lot, but I took time to think about Better to Speak's platform and really understanding, again, like, what does that mean in terms of, like, the things that I have in mind that I want to do or the programs that I have in mind, the, the issues that I want to discuss. Like, do I really understand what these issues mean, um, how they impact people, what do they mean in a policy sense, what they mean in theory? Like, all those things are components that make that just in order to refine again the platform and making sure that it's focused and not necessarily promoting better to speak is this like idyllic uh liberal reformist kind of thing that we see oftentimes we see it a lot like I said but it doesn't necessarily work and it's not necessarily it doesn't help the majority of of black folks it doesn't help the majority of poor folks and I think those combinations of things again like I I, I'm not privy to that experience but again like if I'm gonna put myself in a position where like I want to make a difference and I want to have a positive impact on my community I think like those are things that I need to understand and take the time to understand and be intentional about learning about other people's experiences and reading and being in theory again so again with all that said um this first episode back I wanted to share what I've learned in the in those three months off and for those looking to get involved again in the long term few months ago I posted like a questions thing on Instagram asking people like what questions do you have about you know getting involved with any particular movement or just like civic engagement nothing nothing crazy but just like being civically engaged I think that's one thing people see me as like this social justice warrior and then I'm always talking about politics or always talking about social justice issues and like that's one thing that I've really had to like cultivate as a way of life over the past couple years like like I said I think um my desire to get into this work really comes from just caring for people but that doesn't necessarily always translate to okay how do I get involved I guess in terms of politics or how do I get involved socially like caring about people and advocating for their needs on a social level are two completely different things and so um some of the questions that I got back were just were just around like how do you you know speak up I think that's one thing that we saw a lot on social media when these uh, protests started popping off is like people are like pressuring other people to post about their certain things like are you donating are you signing petitions and it's like I don't want to police the work that anybody's doing offline or assume that the work that anybody's doing offline but again like when we you know people are so quick to engage on social media about anything else but then when it comes to like black lives matter topics not so much and so I think that was one thing that I definitely saw but again like some people may not necessarily have the understanding or have 
you know, have done the reading and that's okay. I think in certain situations like that's okay because there are a lot of people who get online and talk about things that they haven't necessarily, you know, really done the reading or really done the work about. Um, and not ne- not necessarily saying that you have to like be the super well-read, well-read person to engage civically, but at the same time, it's like, like I said, like I'm not, I'm not ever going to be in a position where like, I think I'm smarter than anybody else, or I think that I know more than anybody else. Like what I can say is that I do my research. What I can say is that I create space to talk to people who are doing the work if I'm not, you know, privy to a certain topic myself. And so I think the ability to, to humble yourself and, um, and learn new information. And this is way off from what I wrote down in my script, but, um, just again like be open to new ways of seeing the world and and listening to people's stories and understanding that their experiences may not always align with yours um it's definitely a part of of how do we all begin to engage in these conversations and so i think you know how do you engage people that aren't necessarily you know because i'm i'm really passionate about sociology like that's my my favorite subject i would say outside of journalism but like not everybody is not everybody is involved in politics not everybody in terms of like you know that's what I want to have a career in per se like but at the same time like I said like civic engagement and being politically engaged really has to be a way of life and it's not necessarily a I won't say a mandate but it's like it's really not something that people can sit by and just they're like oh I don't care about politics so I'm just not going to engage when these are, are policies that affect you or you may be in the position to to impact somebody else um and so I think figuring out ways to engage people across all disciplines across all you know walks of life is definitely important because if if not it's the same people the same you know rich people same white people who have historically been taught that you know your voice belongs in this conversation whereas you know black and brown folks whereas young people whereas i don't know like just different different groups of you know the population different marginalized groups and within the population are not always told or not always invited into these conversations and into these spaces and so i think especially as a young person figuring that out early and figuring out how to you know speak to other young people or how to speak to other black people about like you know how can we just share information how can we you know work together on different on different issues in order to have that conversation and really you know begin to to get those next steps or those tools for people to I posted about this on Instagram um, a couple weeks ago but this idea of going from like being aware or being you know um it was like a a pyramid I'm, I'm forgetting what the exact things were but just being aware of certain issues to actually you know being committed I'm thinking of one organization that really helped me to see my own leadership potential to help me you know be in a space with other black women who our leaders who are politically engaged and that is bet on us with the working families party in georgia i spoke with angela saxon who's an organizer in georgia with bet on us and bet on us is an initiative like i said with the working families party to build political power and leadership in black women and gender non-conforming folks and so i will say again like it is an, an organization a space that you know does trainings does text banks um just different ways to get involved with people and connect with voters like I've really learned a lot about myself. I attended a, uh, a training, I want to say this past winter or fall, on how to work on a campaign. So like they equip you with the tools that you need to go and work on political campaigns. And so I thought that they would be a great a great start to, to have this conversation about how do people you know find their voice. They talk about this phrase, finding a political home. So what does that mean? How do you find one? How do you, you know figure out what your role is in this movement? Because there are so many different roles. I think that was one thing that definitely 
held me back for a while and thinking that okay there's not as a journalism student especially um but then of course I think about like Ida B. Wells and her lynching pamphlets and how like that was such a huge thing for black history um and definitely a part of this this movement for black liberation and so I think you know unlearning those those tropes about who what roles can fit into this movement what voices what identities can fit into this movement has definitely allowed me to just kind of like be in it and do the work instead of like spending time thinking that oh because I'm not you know this like radical theorist that I can't you know engage with radical ideas that I can't learn from radical thought leaders or that you know because I'm not necessarily you know I don't necessarily want to run for office or or anything like that but I can still you know engage and analyze politics and understand like how to um just how to make effective political decisions like those are things that you know I feel like everybody should should know how to do even if it's not again like you're not immersed in either of those industries like or fields like understanding how to to navigate the political world the social world understanding how that impacts your personal life um is super important so from this I hope you'll be able to take away steps on how to again find your voice and find not even find your voice because I think everyone has one but just understanding where does your voice fit into the conversation um what issues you want to work on how to connect with other people even if you don't necessarily join an organization like how do you I don't know because it doesn't it doesn't take joining a formal organization either it takes you know just talking to your friends about certain issues talking to your neighbors about certain issues so like whatever however that looks like for you um, and again, like I want to clarify that this is a movement and not a moment. And so that's why I think it was another strategic thing to, to wait and put this episode out. Because I think, you know, again, for people who have been posting on social media, attending protests, signing petitions, definitely consider taking that next step to solidify your commitment to your community. And this definitely sounds like the altar call at church. But um, <laughs> one of the things that has that kept me from committing again was this idea that activism has to look one way or exist in only one space and so I think learning again specifically with journalism that there are room for journalists like journalists definitely play a part in this movement as well like and now I feel more confident with moving forward in my work and applying the skills that I'm learning with causes that matter to me without having to hold back um for example like under the guise of objectivity but that's a conversation for another episode um, so important links and resources to all of this will be in the show notes for you to follow up. Definitely utilize Better to Speak's digital platforms to ask any additional questions and get connected. Um, I'll probably do a thread of organizations that I know of and invite people to, to drop the contact information for orgs that they know of um, for people to get involved. And also, I will plug that Better to Speak has definitely been rolling out some new ways for people to get involved. Like I said, um, one of my goals right now is to just build relationships and get to know people and build community. So um, if you're looking to get involved on our platform specifically, what I really want it to be is like a stepping stone for people to kind of cultivate their voice and figure out what, you know, topics again, like I said, what topics you like talking about, what projects you want to work on, events, things like that. So definitely reach out to me and we'll get you started on that path. But without further ado, let's get into my talk with Angela. I am um, originally from Michigan. I started organizing when I was in college. I went to a predominantly white institution that, let's see, when did I start? In 2002. Um, I was super surprised to experience the things that I, I went through going to this school. You know, it was you being one of so many people in class. I got called the N-word on a regular basis. It was just a really um, intense environment and I couldn't just be a student, right? I had to be a black student. And so 
that is when I knew that I wasn't going to leave because they didn't want me there. That's not how I was raised. <laughs> I'm stubborn. And I just start exploring what organizing was. And I think back then I didn't even know what it was. I just knew I had to survive. And so I went out and did it. Like I just organized a safe place for me to be able to get through school and graduate. And that's what my intentions were. But I realized my senior year that that's something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was recruited by organizing network. And so right out of college, I started organizing. I went and organized in Tallahassee, Florida. From there, I went moved back up north and I organized in Chicago for about three and a half years. Um, from there, Virginia, Virginia to Atlanta. So I've had an opportunity to organize on different platforms and different ways with different organizations. At some point in my career, career I actually started helping building organizations um, and organizing processes and um, you know, I look at the time that I've organized it, I guess I'm 15 years in. It went so fast, it's crazy <laughs> about my journey and how I got where I am. Um, the different styles of organizing has always been pretty similar for me, um, but now I work with the Working Families Party, which I actually um, am pretty new to this style of organizing, which is like straight political organizing. Um, and so with the Working Families Party, I started in March. So. I'm excited to be in this space. It's a little new because of the style, um, but I'm excited to to organize in this climate and to learn a new tool in my work and kind of merge what I've done in the past with what I'm currently doing now to see if we can really build some power and shake some things loose. Um, you know, my purpose for organizing now is about liberation and freedom. And so, I'm willing to use and engage as many tools as I can to make sure that that actually happens for black and brown folks. And that's always been why I organize is to make sure that we have a place that we can actually consider home that respects us and we have a fair opportunity to be able to be the greatest things that we possibly can. So that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> and then could you um, give some background on the Working Families Party since you mentioned you started there in March? So yeah, so the Working Families Party is a national organization. And so it it originally launched on the East Coast. So when you think about like New Jersey, New York, like the Vermont area, like that's Pennsylvania, that's literally where the core of it was created. And it, I believe it was a bunch of um, younger white guys that were union organizers that launched a political party called the Working Families Party. And it has been like that for years. I, when did it start? In the 90s? I think it started up in the 90s. Um, but we have Maurice, um, who is um, this powerful Black brother. I think he actually went to Howard. He graduated from there. Who has been um, essential in the movement for Black lives and being a part of that leadership team. But he's now um, actually... I guess you could call the director, executive director of the Working Families Party. And so he has really begun making changes within the party, um, really taking it from a union-driven political party type of a structure into um, a political organizing infrastructure where we're taking an electoral process and actually styles of organizing and creating a new model and how we actually build out a political home for folks. And allowing that to kind of spread across this country, right? We really want to build a political home. We want to do electoral issues. We want to kind of shake loose 
who we decide to elect to, to actually represent our folks on the ground. This is about working people and really draw in a much more diverse, I think, following of supporters than what has been in the past. Um, so targeting black and brown folks, right? And bringing them into the party and teaching them how to organize. What is organizing? What is the impact? How does power look amongst each other? And how do we actually create a home, not just for individual people, but other organizations that do this work, right? I think about here in Georgia, you have like the New Georgia Project, you have Black Voters Matter, you have these organizations that do this amazing work. But at the same time, they don't necessarily have a political home that is willing to throw down in a radical way, right? Um, and that's what Working Families Party is willing to do. We're willing to push the envelope and how we look about, look at the issues that we stand for and that we really drive. And um, this idea of kind of staying party line, you know, playing it safe, um, we're, we're willing to push and keep pushing on the type of candidates that we elect that makes sure that Birkin families have everything they need to be able to thrive and survive and be successful, to make sure that Black women have a voice and a story to tell and that they're actually being listened to, right? And we're willing to do that. And so that's the type of home we want to offer up you know, in this political climate, in this, this, this place where, you know, this movement for Black lives, like, we're in the resistance right now. And um, I think we need a movement or we need a party that's willing to operate in that movement and in that space of resistance um, to be radical enough to shift and shake some things loose. And that comes with electing and endorsing the right people that can actually drive that narrative. Mm -hmm. So... And then you mentioned um, the phrase, the political home. And that's one of the one things that I wanted to, to focus on is like, what does that mean to have a political home or belong to a political home, especially in this, in this moment? Perfect. I think that's an amazing question. I think that's something internally that we're playing around with. You know, I personally have like, how can I explain this to folks? And the best way I can do this is take it back to the needs and the value systems of our people, right? What do we need as Black folks, as Latino folks, as people of color, when we talk about our actual needs that allow us to operate in, in this country and be okay? You know, I want to take those stories and those experiences and actually package them in a space where they're honored, right? They're valued, they're listened to, and that we can actually build an issue platform or a legislative platform around those things. Like when I think about coming home, I want to come home to a place where that is available, right? That I'm heard and that I have a place that I have other people that think like me, that feel like me, that want to throw down like me, who are just as tired as I am as being invisible and locked out and left out, that I can come to a political home and that's the opposite, right? They're like, okay, I hear your story. I hear your issues. What do you want to do about it? Let's go to work. And so that's the feel. That's what I see as a political home, right? This is a space where let's, let's throw down. Like, we're not going to ignore what you're feeling, what your experiences have been. Let's just figure out how we work and make it happen. And it's not just a concept and a conversation, but we can actually live that out, out there in them streets. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I, I don't know if they answered your question. I just, that's the best way I can package it. That's what a political home is, right? And then it's taking those very experiences and electoralizing it. What do I mean by that? It's putting electoral process into those issues and those experiences, right? This is connecting a person's 
uh, everyday experiences to the democratic process and then taking it into an electoral cycle and fighting for it, right? That means looking at, you know, folks, everyday folks, our leaders in our communities, our neighborhoods, training them up, getting them what they need so that they can run for office. Let's just be real. We, we don't have a good selection of folks that we can, that stands up for us that we want to be like, yes, I want them to represent and to, you know, <laughs> to represent me in my community. It's just what we have to, to choose from. And we're kind of like, oh, I guess it's lesser than two evil. I'll choose that person. That's not cool. There's plenty of people out there that are qualified enough, right? They are qualified to actually get out there and run for office and push the needs of our people and make sure that we have legislation and policies and all that stuff put in place that makes our lives better on the ground and validates the working people, the people that hold this system up, right? That we actually get what we need. And then um, I couldn't help but think like of the, the historical and contextual significance of doing that for, you know, like you said, black and brown communities in the South particular. Um, so can you explain like the significance of like what that work has been like in the in the South? In the South. So the Working Families Party is pretty new to the South. Um, so we're on ground level here, which is pretty exciting. Um, I think when you think about issues like, you know, the voter suppression, the current responses around COVID-19, right? It, you know, going back to school, all these these narratives and that are flying at us. Um, I think the significance is, you know, many of folks that look like us and talk like us haven't had a space that they could be themselves. Like they could actually just be without a lot of um, a lot of heat, <laughs> right? Um, a lot of a lot of pressure and being looked at a certain way. So I think that's a part of the significance. I don't think many people of color have opportunity to be put in the center of a political process or an electoral process and then being lift up and, and encouraged and driven to drive what this what this what the state could look like. At least I'm talking about Georgia, right? I don't know about other states in the South because I think they are different. Um, so I think a historical context or the, the impact could be that that very thing right there. They actually have a political party that's saying that, that's actually driving that. Um, so when you think about like the Democratic Party, you know, one thing that I've always struggled with is there's no focus around people of color. There's no black agenda. There's no, you know what I mean? They just, they parachute into our communities and they do the electoral thing and then you don't ever see them again until another electoral cycle, which is problematic, it's transactional, right? So this is what I've been looking for, right? A party that's not afraid to go on those lines and, and talk about black issues and black folks and the movement for black lives and stand on it and be good. That's a historical precedence that I, I think, I don't think we're used to. We're not used to. So I will come from that direction and that's how I kind of would package that, so. And that leads me to um, Bet On Us. So can you talk about what Bet On Us is, how it came to be? Oh yeah, so Bet On Us is exciting. So Brittany Whaley, who is the, the director of the state or the region here, um, this was, this is her baby. This is her, you know, her brainchild, you know, this, this, as a black woman, you know, being very clear that 
when we show up in spaces, you know, whether we're qualified or not, where we're we're good enough to talk about it, you know, we keep holding the bag. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, when you think about black women and voting, like we hold it down. That's what we do. We, we, there's no, you don't got to talk about us about voting because that's what we do. There's so much that as black women, you know, and gender non-conforming folks, we carry this, we carry our communities in so many ways. And so why not create a space, which is that on us, which is a target of black women and GNC or gender non-conforming and putting them first and into center of our work and saying, let's create a space for you to actually do what you've been doing outside of this, but let's celebrate it, let's hold it, let's incubate it, and let's create some organizing hubs across the state of Georgia. We can bring these group of women together and we can really build power. I mean, you're already doing it. Let's do it together. Let's do it in a collective way. Let's build some power behind it. Let's actually shift the way our communities look, where our neighborhoods are actually moving. This is a space where their voices can actually be heard and respected and not ignored and walked around and over. And But then you want to keep giving us all the work to do, right? And so that's not going to happen. This space is where all of what I just said happens and we actually drive it now. We can be actually be out front of it. If some of these women or, you know, they want to actually run for office, then that's, that can happen within Bet on Us. So we can train, develop, and move them into powerful leadership positions um, to get done what actually needs to get done. So I'm actually the organizer on the ground here in Georgia. My job is to build out these Bet on Us hubs, these organizing hubs. Um, and like I said, it's for the state of Georgia. It's not just in Atlanta. Some of the areas that we really want to target, you know, like Athens, Augusta, Valdosta, um, you know, South Georgia, where a lot of this work is not being done. You know, um, majority of when people think about Georgia, they think Atlanta immediately, <laughs> right? Atlanta proper and inside the perimeter, however you coin it. And a lot of the organizations and the work is being done within those city limits. But once you get outside of that, it's like this, this hole, this gap where voters are not educated, they're not being engaged, they're, we're not investing in the leadership. It's it just so much that could be happening that um, Bet On Us, these hubs can do, and we plan on doing, and we want to be able to see its impact, you know, coming up in 2022 and other electoral cycles that will be coming through. So... And then um, a few of the phrases that I saw um, on the website, like included the maroon spaces, I think you touched on, um, and then the idea of like black women's political labor being exploited. Um, mm -hmm. So can you explain, I think, just to understand like as a black, you know what I mean? I think like black women know like what our experiences are. I think sometimes like even, even within black movement spaces like that gets lost. Um, so could you explain like what are the most prominent ways that you've seen like black women's political labor get exploited? Um, so I, I'll just, I mean, I think the, the biggest, the most obvious example is our voting as a voting block. Um, our numbers are outrageous. We're up there. We vote, we show up, but in any way, do you ever hear or see the issues that we believe in like out front and being talked about and engaged around, you don't have candidates, you know, catering and, and understanding that we're a big voting block and actually creating platforms that talk about and address our issues. So 
You know, we show up, we do the work, we vote, we'll, we, we actually volunteer in people's campaigns. You know, we out there knocking doors, we do the phone banking, we do the phone call, and we do all of this to get nothing in return after the thing is done, right? Like the voting happens, we look up, and it's like, man, none of those issues protect my son or my daughter. None of those issues help me be able to get a sustainable living wage. None of those, all of those things, right? My ability to to make a decision about my own body <laughs> and having some man that ain't got what I got make the decision on what I can do with it. Like it's never translated. Um, and I think that's, that's exploiting our political labor. Like we help you get elected. We vote for you. And we don't get anything in return. We get nothing. And then another thing that I do um, appreciate about Bet on Us is that it includes gender nonconforming folks. And then again, like on the website, it talks about um, building political power outside of the gender binary. So can you also explain like what what does that look like and what does that really mean? Mm. I think there's there could be different meanings to that. To be honest with you, and I think it. Outside that binary, it, it it means different things for different folks. So I will come from my own understanding in it. Um, just like when we talk about Black women and their their political power and, and their labor that's putting forth, the same thing and the same narrative is happening um, when we talk about GNC folks, right? And to be honest with you, there's you don't see the numbers. You, you don't see... The conversation around, you know, the movement of these folks and how they're impacting the work, the political system, you don't hear about it at all. And I think it's just as important for, for their labor and what they care about and their values and all of that stuff to be seen and heard. And it's so important that we that we put that in the center of this work also. Um, and allow it to grow and allow it to be heard and to be seen, to take its own form and formation and to be able to support that. And within the Working Families Party, that's our value of ours. Um, I'm hoping I'm answering the question. I'm trying to figure out the best route into this <laughs> that makes sense. Let me know if I'm not answering it correctly. But we're trying to create space within that on us that allows us to expand a conversation Around that binary, right, and and even carve out even more space where we can support, even protect in a lot of ways, right? And if if building out a candidate space where we like 100%, you know, uh, support GNC folks that want to run, that want to be leaders and stuff, right? That that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to actually going to create and lift up. And I think that's that's the best way I can enter into that because I think there's so much more. There's so much more to navigate in that too. But I hope I answered the question as best as I could. And then um, thinking forward towards solutions, what would you say are action steps that people can take like as individuals to begin to find like, what does political power for me, what does leadership for me look like? Oh, you know, I think that's a beautiful question and I love it because in this time, I think we have more people that's asking that than they're not. And so 
I actually have a lot of friends that have been asking me this, like, what is my entry point and how do I even get to the point where I'm clear on what I want to do and if I want to take leadership role? So, I, I mean, at this point, I will connect to an organization, it will connect to a WFP that may be near you, because um, this is where the conversation is being had. Like, we're exploring that leadership. We're creating spaces where you can volunteer and find out your space and your interest in this movement, um, and then helping people on those journeys of what that leadership could look like um, within this political home. And for some people, it's just the political home. It's just the space, right? Maybe they don't want to take 100% leadership right now, but they just want to be a part of something where other people think like them, right? Have the same struggles of them, and they actually see solutions happening. So I say find a WFP near you, right? And, and plug in, become a member, become a supporter, go to a welcome gathering. Um, a welcome gathering is an entry point for individuals or people that want to explore you know their space and their role and in that welcome gathering you get to learn about what we do what we stand for how you can get engaged talk to an organizer directly maybe you build out a relationship with them have some regular meetings until you get clear on and what exactly it is that you want to do um, and if it's not a WFP, we have plenty of partners out there that we partner with. I know here in Georgia, we have, you know, the Black Voters Matter. We, they're a partner of ours. We have Surge. Um, there's different spaces that I think you can enter into that can get you what you need. Um, we provide trainings. Um, you have, you could do peer-to-peer -peer texting with us. That's something that you can do from, from the safety of your home. We have phone bank opportunities that allows you to touch base and kind of include. So I think a solution in, in that is plug in, get involved. Um, you can go to www.workingfamilies.org. That's the larger. I don't know what the, the expanse of the podcast is, but I'm just going to give the national um, website. And from there, you can find an affiliate or a WFP near you. Here in Georgia, I think it's better to connect with us on betonus.org. And from there, we can plug you in and get you going. And of course, you'll be talking to me. So don't be afraid. I'll be here. Be the one calling and talking to you. Talking about taking some stuff over, you know. Yeah. And that's how I think that's a good entry point and ways to get engaged. So. And you actually uh, touched on my last question, which was how can people get involved? So, um, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Is there anything else that you think people should know in regards to, like, finding their voice in, you know, in this movement, in the fight, if, if it doesn't look like you said, like, a, a specific leadership role? Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I will, I will say, I think everybody has a role in this movement. Everybody. Um, there's going to be those that are frontline. that are going to be the marchers, right? The ones that like the want to put their bodies out front. And it's okay if you're not that person. It's okay. That doesn't mean that you can't be a part of the movement. That doesn't mean that, that you can't be involved. That's just what that, those people, that's what they can do. And then there's entry points everywhere, right? You can go on a journey to become an organizer. Maybe you just want to volunteer and be a communications person. Maybe you just want to do a text bank. You know, maybe it's you want to have these little education sessions with people closest to you in your home via a Zoom call, and that's what you do that's a part of it. 
everybody has a place and a role. And I say get creative in doing it. Connect with an organization that can help provide you with the resources that allow you to be and, and, do, and do what you do. So don't be afraid to enter. Um, it doesn't have to be marching and protesting. And I think a lot of people believe that's, that's the movement. It is so much more that happens behind the scenes to get to what you see that happens in the streets. Don't be afraid. We need you. We, we're looking for you. Um, and shoot, those that are interested in healing, <laughs> we need healers in this movement. We need folks that are interested in creating space where organizers like myself can heal and process what we're thinking, going through, what we see on a daily basis, and everyday folks need that too. So that's what I want to leave. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. You can find us on social media at bettertospeak underscore or on our website, bettertospeak.org. We also have a new feature on Red Circle where you can sponsor an episode and donate to support the work we're doing here at Better to Speak. You can find the link to support in the description of whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. Be sure to tune in to future episodes where we'll dive into various sociopolitical topics with the goal of transforming silence into language and action. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Felton. Thank you for listening.